My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from those creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to think where they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge that you can use their lessons in your own life. Today's episode of the Holocene Podcast is sponsored by our magazine. The Holocene Magazine, Issue 1, is out and ready to be shipped as soon as you order. You can also pre-order Issue 2, which will go live mid-March, and Issue 3, which will go live towards the end of May. Anyone listening to this podcast can use the discount podcast to receive a discount on our first issue. Today, I am joined by none other than Linda Decker. And before I read her very impressive bio, I need to say out front that I am going to mispronounce at least one of the people's names or institutional names in this bio. And I sincerely apologize. Linda Decker is a multidisciplinary designer whose work encompasses brand strategy and identity, interactive communication, publications, information graphics, and design criticism. A native New Yorker, Linda studied at Syracuse University and the School of Visual Arts and holds multiple graduate degrees in design. She was fortunate enough to land her dream job after college working on U and LC for the typographic design legend Herb Lubelin and was mentored by Herb's partner, Tony Despigna. Her love of topography has never waned. Before founding Decker Design in 1996, she spent years at advertising at McCaffrey and McCall, Backer, Spilvogel, Bates and Wells, Rich Green, and she won every major advertising award, including the Clio, the Art Directors Club, the One Show, Graffice, AIGA, and the Print Regional Annual. Decker Design continues to receive recognition from its peers continually. Decker Design's clients are varied and have included Blackstone, the Clinton Foundation, Houston Hennigan, Goldman Sachs, and International Paper. She has served as vice president of AIGA New York chapter and most recently as national co-chair of AIGA Women Lead, where she helped form a coalition of design agencies supporting gender equality and equity in the workplace. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation between myself and Linda Decker. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Linda, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. This should be fun. So I start off every podcast by asking the same question, which is what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Okay, so when you came into the office, you met Layla. Yeah. Layla is my uh, five-pound pandemic puppy. Very, very cute. Little white fluffy dog. Layla sleeps in the bed with me and with my boyfriend, John. And the first thing I think of is, is she okay? Have we crushed her? <laughs> yeah when i first walked in i like at first i was like that that is an adorable small dog and i was like really all of a sudden very conscious of where i was stepping because i was like i really don't want to accidentally step on the dog size of my foot yeah i almost stepped on her earlier um we had a messenger came into the office and i didn't realize that she basically ran underneath my feet <laughs> and i went to reach for something and then i heard no <laughs> a little yip um, but but she's adorable and, and it actually surprises me she doesn't make any noise as she's sitting on the table in front of us as we record this um Yes. We're, we're talking about you, yes. <laughs> She's uh, a little glamour pup. She likes to just sort of lie there and put her head over her shoulder and look at you seductively. Yeah, I, I'm okay with that. Um, so shortly before recording, we started talking about the fact that you split your time between New York City proper, mm -hmm. Manhattan, and Montauk up in the Hamptons. 
Right. And so does your morning routine differ when you're in the city versus when you're out there? Not that much. Probably the easiest thing has to do with um, the dog mm-hmm. when you're out in the country. Yeah. Uh, you're not you're not sort of rushing to, you know, get dressed mm-hmm. and run outside. Like, you know, <laughs> I can just can I can just have a itself. Yeah, yeah, go outside, you know, yeah. go ahead, go outside. Sure. So that's that's really probably the the biggest difference, but I, you know, my morning routine is really, you know, pretty simple, probably pretty similar to most other people where, you know, get up, um, you know, probably try and get some exercise in, grab something to eat, shower and get out the door. Mm. What is your what, what what kind of exercise do you do? Um, most of the time, well, if it's if the weather isn't great or it's winter, I'll yeah. be on like a, a Peloton mm-hmm. or I'll, I'll do um, remote, uh, you know, uh, z- you know, Zoom classes or whatever you sure. call them. And uh, but during the better weather, I will surf. I've surfed actually until January, um, but mm. it's it's so cold. It's yeah, really, it's just brutal, and I I don't like it that much in the winter. In the yeah, cold. I have a really heavy wetsuit, I was and ask. I can handle it maybe 40 minutes. And then at that point, I'm just so bone chilled. Like a there, six mil or a seven mil? Or six mil, six yeah. Mil, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, I think surfing is such a great sport for, you know, relaxing. It's one of those sports where you have to focus on everything that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, you're not thinking about anything else. You're not yeah. thinking about like the next deadline, whatever problems going on at the office. So it's great in terms of that because it's so it demands so much of your attention but uh it's just tough to do i'm not i'm not hardy enough to do it all winter yeah and i think surfing is also deeply about respecting your environment and your surroundings mm-hmm. right yeah um and it it can really uh what's a good word to use but bring you back to basics like it really grounds you in what's what's really important right yeah well there's such a simplicity to it it's not a sport where you need a lot of gear no so you're basically in the cold weather you're in a wetsuit and you have a board and you are you're in the water and you're you know I would say you know we are everyone I surf with is very very conscious of like the cleanliness of the water Mm -hmm. I mean you're you're right there it's touching your skin and um, if it's not clean you you know you know get very concerned um so it, it's really, it is wonderful like that. Um, John, my boyfriend, will always say that the great thing about surfing is when you finish, you just feel so much more alive because yeah. you're so connected to nature. And that's really the great thing about it. I started really at the same time I started my business mm. because I needed something to, I needed a way to turn off because I'm one of those people where I will just work and work, work and work and work, and, work, work. Continuously. Yeah. and I won't stop. And, um, you know, and that's not really a great way to be mm-hmm. professionally productive. You need breaks. Yeah. And so a friend of mine had suggested that I try surfing and I couldn't swim. So it was <laughs> sort of an absurd sport for me to take up. Yeah. But there was just something so beautiful about it. And I thought I would try it. And so 20 years later, I'm still surfing. Did you did you attempt to become a better swimmer and learn how to surf at the same time or did you try to tackle one first tried to surf and I probably at that time I was also training with a trainer Mm. who 
helped me get access to um, one of the gyms that had a pool. Yeah. And then I found out how hard it was to swim well. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like you don't you don't get a session with a, a swim instructor for an hour when you're starting. Yeah, exactly. It's swimming is hard. Yeah, for sure. So I'm still not a great swimmer. I'm a yeah. much better surfer than I am a swimmer. Yeah, it's it's interesting you you bring that up because it's it's something that many people take for granted, but a lot of people cannot do. Right. And most people, even if they can swim, don't do it well or gracefully. Yeah. Right. right. It, because it's it requires so much core strength. Yes. Like everyone thinks that it's all about your arms or your like, legs. No. It's your core. It's everything. It's yeah. I, th I think if you look at athletes in the Olympics, right, and you look at especially the Summer Olympics, and you have all these incredible athletes in many different facets, but you look at the swimmers, and they are always in my mind like the most conditioned athletes you could probably yeah. find. Yeah, it's um, a such a full body exert, a full body sport for sure. And I think, unfortunately, also swimming is also that sport where people see on TV and then the first thing, oh, I could do that. Like, oh, I could dump in the pool and do, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But it's like, no, you can't. Well, so many kids also <laughs> like, you know, when you're young, your parents are always like, oh, we have to we have to get little Joey swimming lessons. You mm -hmm. know, so everybody, a lot of people take swimming lessons. For sure. And um, and then people think that they can swim, but they yeah. really oftentimes don't even understand even the basics about. For sure. Um, you know, the ocean yeah. that's, well, you know, you see that, um, here in New York city, there are always kids that get into trouble mm -hmm. every rip single summer especially. with rip currents. Yeah. 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 And so I'm lucky I grew up on the beach of Massachusetts. And so my parents made it a point, like you're going to learn how to swim in a pool, but that's not the swimming that you're re really pre preparing you for. Right. Yeah. It's the, we go to the beach and something happens. We don't want you to, uh, you know, uh, get find yourself in, you know, up the creek without a paddle, so to speak. Yeah. So I'm thankful for my dad because uh, on Nantasket Beach in, in, in a town called Hull in Boston Harbor, it's known for the rip currents. And they're not that strong compared to like what you can have. But my dad at a young age would always like when he found one, he would like take us into the water one at a time and like hold on to us and show us what it felt like. And they're like, he's like, if you start to feel this, you need to get out of the water or you need to start swimming away. And if you get caught in one, like don't fight against it. Just let it take you. And then once you, once it once kind you of get out, of it, out yeah. of it, then you can swim away. Right? right. Because the rip current ends after the break. It does. And then you yeah. can, you can go par swim parallel to shore and then you can mm -hmm. get back in. And luckily for Nantasket beach, at least for us, like the break was not that far out. It was maybe 40 feet. Um, but there are some beaches in the world with the breaks very, very far out. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing how, like there was just that story recently of the, that, the former NFL player as a running back who had like two of his kids like swept out and he was like hospitalized for two weeks. He ended up like swimming after them and saving both their lives. Um, but you hear about it every year, like people get just taken out. Oh yeah. And so going back to, you know, respecting the ocean and surfing, right. It's like you're, you're using something that's naturally there to almost play, mm -hmm. right. Utilizing just something, a very simple piece of technology, right. Surfboard technology is not, you know, innovated much in the past yeah. hundred years. Right. And I, and I love talking to some of my friends who are, um, you know, like very proficient surfers or surf photographers. And they always talk about it. Like boards have gotten lighter, but even a lighter board isn't really what you want. You know, no, you not want, necessarily. You know, <laughs> you want the right shape you want, depending on where you're, depending on where you're surfing and when you're surfing and how you're surfing, it changes everything. Right. And the style, you know, how you surf is I think really critical. And I've always been aware of this because as a woman, I'm not, I don't have the kind of upper body strength that a lot of my male friends have. So they can, 
they can compensate yeah. just brute force where I have to use finesse. And so for me and for my size, I need a certain kind of board. Like I don't like a board that's particularly big. Yeah. Like I'm strong for my size, but um, still I'm, I'm a long border. I will, mm -hmm. I'm not that long a long border, but <laughs> you know, it's uh but I'm not somebody who's going to be out there on like a six foot little potato chip board. Sure. Yeah. And your partner, what does he prefer? He's he's on a big, heavy ten foot board. Really? Yeah. That's he cool. really likes he likes those. I I mean, I can't even lift his board. Yeah. It's so it's ridiculously <laughs> heavy. heavy. Yeah. The, it's the a kind very old school. Water, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And you said he he's currently in Costa Rica. Um. Do you do you guys travel besides like to different places and surf? Is it like a a combined mm -hmm. thing or? You know, he's in a, he's in Pavonas right now in Costa Rica, and it's really hard to get there. And he likes it because it's not crowded, and it's yeah. not crowded because it's hard to get there. Yes. Um, but you know, I have found over the past few years that the surf is just way too big for me. Mm. Um, in a lot of these places in the winter time. Yeah. So uh, you know, I'm I, I'm not going into ten foot surf. Yeah. There's just no way. For sure. Um, like three foot, that's like yeah. my limit. You know, yeah, and I'm happy there. You know, yeah, so. but you got to find your your, your level, yeah. you know, and there's some places around the world where, you know, 30 foot surf is small, oh. you know. You know, that's like a building. Yeah. That's, that's a building moving For sure. at you. Yeah. yeah. Been, like I've been up to Mavericks near Half Moon Bay in California and every time I was there it was never that big surf, but I've seen photos and there's that place in Portugal that uh, oh, yeah. it's like the hundred foot waves mm -hmm. and you see a picture and you're like, I'm not sure how big that is. And you see the picture of like the cliff with the lighthouse and then like the, the person, which is a ski do in the water they have to use to get over the waves. That's crazy. I know. It's insane. That, that to me is a little terrifying, but I don't know. I, th I think, I think surfing. So, so if, if someone's listening to this and they maybe have always been fascinated with surfing and maybe they are the last person you think would ever be good surfing, what do you recommend? Like, how do they get started? Probably take a lesson from somebody who's really reputable. When yep. I first started surfing, nobody really was giving any kind of lessons. And now you can get lots of lessons For everywhere. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's just a it's a better, safer thing to do because there's so many different ways you can get into trouble. Mm -hmm. And you can get into trouble just by getting in people's way because you don't have you yeah. don't understand the etiquette. Yeah. So I think that's probably best for for most people. Just take a few lessons, yeah. understand what's going on with the Rules ocean the water yeah yeah i mean i think that people really do underestimate the um how like the oh you really have to respect the ocean it mm -hmm. it is it, it can be very dangerous it will kill you yeah it yes it can pretty and, easily you know people do people do stupid things last summer there was uh i think a couple of people got pulled out of the water and then some guy drowned and you know they were it, they were in the ocean fooling around around sunset. And I think, you know, maybe they had been doing drink. Yeah. Really yeah. Recreational. Yeah. yeah. Which is like fine, but you can't mix it. For you sure. know, it's just, you know, and that's when people really get into trouble because yeah. their, their judgment is compromised and then they panic and, yeah. and they're in a situation they can't control. So For sure. I think anybody who wants to surf, take, take a few lessons. Take it's worth it. And I think one one point that you mentioned that I really want to underscore is the the etiquette among other surfers. Like mm -hmm. it's one of those sports where like if you go to if you live on a beach and you end up, you know, messing with the other surfers there, like they're not going to watch in the water with them, and they're going to make it very apparent. Oh yeah, well you know some places are much more forgiving than others, and yes. I think like out in Montauk, there's so many 
you know, visitors, tourists yeah, and everything. People yeah. are pretty, pretty chill. Pretty chill. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a few guys who will definitely, you know, give someone a hard time. But I mean, I'm, you know, I'm good enough that I can avoid most people. But every once in a while, like I remember a couple of years ago, some guy, I don't even know how he, like, I couldn't avoid him. He boxed me in and mm-hmm. I couldn't get around him. And, you know, he hit me. And I was just like, oh, God, dude, what are you doing? Like, yeah. You know, and that's where I was just like, you know what? Just take a lesson. Yeah. Just take a lesson. For sure. Um, Because people, like a lot of people go and buy, the, you know, there's all of, we were talking about surf shops before, yeah. the super fancy surf shops where, you know, you can spend a couple of thousand dollars on a, a beautiful board, beautiful yeah. surfboard. And then they don't know, they know the first thing on Correct. how to ride it. They're just trying to show off. And yes. yeah, and it's just like, you know. It's the it's the prototypical finance boy that works in Wall Street that yes. wants to go to Montauk week with his friends and is going to buy the He's nice surfboard. He's going to buy $2,500 surfboard. put on top of the Land Rover <laughs> to make it look cool when he shows at the beach, but he's not going to actually use it. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the stereotype is there for yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. When he could probably just as, you know, he'd probably be better off on a $200 Costco board. Oh, for sure. Costco <laughs> actually makes some nice surfboards from, from, yeah. the, from people that have filled. And also Amazon, I think, has an Amazon basics board. But I think the big thing here is like, just like snowboarding or skiing or rock climbing or, or things where it it seems like a friendly sport that's easy to pick up. And as someone, myself and you, obviously that have like stood up and surfed before, it takes a very long time to get it to that point. It is such a high, it has such a steep learning curve. Yeah. I mean, and it does look like something anybody can do, but no, anybody can't. Yeah. But I think there's actually a direct correlation to surfing and design. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I, I really see so much of so many parallels, um, you know, between like sort of like the cycles of like the tides and the waves mm-hmm. and how, um, you know, whether you're managing your career or life or even just thinking about design, how, um, you know, it's really, you, you just, you need a lot of patience yeah. and you have, and timing is so critical. Timing is critical. Right. And that's yeah. all surfing is, right? People travel around the world to, to go in for one swell, for one storm, coming in on the right point, the right day. And people make insane amounts of money just predict, predicting these things. Yeah. Right. Um, and before we uh, dive deep on design and the, you know, a lot of, more of the work you do now, um, for people that aren't aware with your you know pedigree, uh, how would you describe the work you do now to your eight-year-old self? Oh, to my eight-year-old self, that. You know, I mean, my career has had so many different phases to it, and and because the industry has changed so much, um, I feel like what I do now is more problem solving than it is being a visual artist. Mm. Where I think when I was, and and probably typical for many people in the earlier stages of their careers, they're much more visually oriented. They're more visual artists. Um, And what I am doing now is trying to, you know, I find solutions for clients and I find solutions for my team when Mm. they get stuck. Yeah. Like helping them get past um, the the obstacle that they have encountered yeah. when they're working on a project. Hmm. Which is interesting that you say that because I believe that design is problem solving, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's fascinating that I think that some people view design as more of a, 
I think people conflate art and design very often, mm-hmm. right? And I'm always reminded by the Donald Judd quote, the design has to work, art does not, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think a lot of good design is a great medium and vessel for art, mm-hmm. right? Like some of the best rebrands that we were talking about earlier in the past you know, decade are a good combination of a fantastic system that works for the brand that also displays art that portrays what the brand is about. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think you, I think it takes time and experience to become a good problem solver. Mm. Where I think, as when you are younger, what you're more equipped to do is to, um, is probably less about thinking of design as part of an ecosystem. But when you're younger, you're really thinking about a smaller part of it. And oftentimes it's that visual manifestation mm. um, or the visual execution. And creating something that has beauty, yeah, uh, and that becomes something that's important. And it's it's almost like it's a fate. It's a it's a step that you go through, and it's a part of the learning process. Because I think, if I think about all the designers that I have known through my career, and some who are really pride themselves as a designer's mm-hmm. designer, they're yeah. all strategic thinkers, yeah, in some way, shape, or form. It's just they don't talk about their work that way yeah where um you know say somebody who is at a brand strategy firm yeah. might talk about their work in terms of strategy where somebody who is much more like i said of a designer's designer mm-hmm. they wouldn't maybe frame their work that way like i always think of say paula share who is yeah. i mean such a massive talent and a real designer's designer but she's like probably one of the smartest people in the world. For sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's just no getting around it. I mean, yeah. she is so crazy smart and such a strategic thinker. And for her to get the work sold that she has sold to clients over the years, she really has to know how to frame it so that yeah. they buy it. Or build that trust with a client to let her create what she needs to create. Yeah. You know, because I mean, I mean, how often at least in my process, I'm sure you've seen this as well, where you have a fantastic idea that you know will work, the client is just never going to buy onto that. Right. And then you have to find a way to frame it yeah. so that they feel confident mm. and that they will... Um, Give it a shot at least. Yeah. But sometimes they don't, even then. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. And that's what we call uh, non-design portfolio projects. <laughs> yes. We all have a few of those that never make it on the site or in our portfolio. But you know, sometimes you need to do products like that. Um, so at this point, having done, I'm sure, countless projects and working for countless different like, entities and organizations and corporations, do you have a certain process that you like to follow when starting a new project? Yeah, one of the things that I have really found over the years is that the most, the absolute most important aspect is really all of the research that goes on before you even start to design. Hmm. And then... The other aspect is no matter what the project is, I like to have a series of interviews with all of anybody who's a stakeholder. Yeah. Um, and it's really more because I, I, oftentimes I'll find people will say the same things, mm-hmm. but it's more about getting them on board and getting them to be supportive of yeah. what's going to happen next. Yeah. And I think that, I think that there's, you know, people don't put enough, um, give enough credit to designers who are able to really get work produced and get it 
yeah. get it sold mm -hmm. to a client because that is one of the hardest things in the world. I mean, it's so it's almost easy to come up with the with the solution. Agreed. Yeah. But getting people to buy into um getting to buy into the project mm. is so difficult and so I think those conversations that I have with people really help to get the assignment give it traction yeah. get it make it make it possible to be mm -hmm. um actually realized yeah and I, I love the way you frame that because I think it's 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 one thing to land a project it's another thing to convince the client to do the right thing for them and also what's best for everything because I think a lot of the clients that at least I work with and I'm not sure if this is true for you but they wouldn't know good design if it bit them in the ass yeah and 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 so, so sometimes um one of one of the board members of my company uh Seth Roska who used to be president of Collins when I was there uh he runs the new company with Matt Luckhurst now um he has this fantastic deck that they walk clients through showing them this is good design and this is bad design and it's like it's like their first day intro one with stakeholder interviews where they're basically showing people like we're not we're going to make this we're, we're definitely not going to do that you know and sometimes like because i work with a lot of early stage startups and there's so much ego and founders and ceos they're like i want this thing that my six-year-old drew in the back right. of their napkin to be the logo and i'm like but it doesn't even make sense. It's a fish and you sell like prosthetics to humans. Like that's not, that's not what you should be, you know? And I think that so many people just make something because it's like their street name or their pet's name or they, they, they like, like a picture of a horse and it's like, that's great. But like, is it telling a story? Yeah. You know, or is it just some like, are you just throwing Futura in bold on like a red background with white lettering, you know, copying Barbara Some Kruger. of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not dissing Supreme by any chance, but no, I, I, I think, I think what you, what that, if if you can sell yourself to a client, that's part step one. But if you can sell what you want, create to them that that and and have them believe that that's the right solution, like that's the holy grail. Yeah, right? I think that's the difference between people that have successful studios and don't. It's you know it's really difficult. I think one of the other things that we did a few years ago is we decided in terms of marketing to really um, narrow our focus in terms of positioning. And I was having a conversation with a um, professional colleague this morning. And we've, if you go onto our website, you'll see that we're focused mostly on mm -hmm. now on law firms and financial services, which are kind of related to one yeah. another. Um, I really do like the law firm work because a, there's so much bad design there that it's like it's laughable you can really make a difference for yeah. these people and the other thing is so and we've also done a lot of thought leadership around those topics and we've created a good portfolio of work but i think you know it's one of these things and i've never liked really talking about being a woman in this industry mm -hmm. but i i said to my colleague i said you know if I were a dude, I could show one or two samples on anything. Yeah. And people would just assume I was an expert. Yeah. But as a, a woman, I go in and if I only have one client that I've worked with in a particular industry, mm -hmm. but I may have learned a lot working with that client, yeah. they still think they have no confidence in me. Yeah. And I think it's just much harder for women to um to establish that trust and confidence. And that's one yeah. of the reasons why we made the decision to 
to really focus in on an industry and something that I felt was um, really worthwhile for us yeah. is to sort of take that market segment because now I don't have to, I don't feel like I'm trying to convince people to mm -hmm. trust me as much. But you as, know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you know. But I mean, I've worked in almost every single industry. Yeah. But if I went into probably um, a hospital mm -hmm. conglomerate or something, yeah, I probably would. They'd be like, "Well, you don't, you don't have five or six of these in your portfolio. You only have yeah two. But at some point, you have to create the five or six. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, you know, and it's not like you know some of the issues like you know, that you experience at mm -hmm. one major hospital group are not that dissimilar to the same issues that you confront at another major hospital group in New York City. But yeah. you, to them, you don't have the expertise. So it's really just been, you know, to build that trust, we've really narrowed our focus. And I found that it's really helped a great deal. I, I, think, I think it's interesting you, you mentioned that because I think designers in some fields, especially like money-driven enterprises, which law really in the day is money-driven, and so is finance, obviously. Um, they really struggle when you show them a price tag for how much a like a full rebrand costs or some kind of oh, corporate yeah. entity. They, they laugh. They're like, ha-ha, okay, what, how much does it really cost? We're like, no, that's it. It's actually a good deal. You know, when you break down hours. And then some, that's the, the problem, I think, with working with a lot of those companies I'm sure you're well aware of is uh, like they want our accounts of how much every single person is spending on every little piece because that's how they do their math, right? You know, they're not that bad that way. Really? Yeah, okay. yeah. It's um, I have found that it's much more of corporations who mm -hmm. are doing like a big RFP that will ask for a spreadsheet yeah. of like, they'll have all these crazy titles mm -hmm. that they'll give you and you're supposed to fit people into Which the spreadsheet yeah, that are for working sure. for in these titles and what is their hourly rate and how does that reflect the- It's just cost centers, right? Yeah, like and you're just like, I don't know how to fill this out. Yeah. Um, Are we solving the problem? Yes. Yeah. Right, who cares? But I found actually, I mean, I, this is probably insane to most people. I really like lawyers. Yeah. And a, a lot of the yeah. a lot of the people we work with are really really smart, and uh, they they really they believe in the rule of law, mm -hmm. and they take what they do so seriously and they really do want guidance and they're mm -hmm. open to it and they want to know yeah. what are the best practices in this area. Yeah. And they may have ideas because mm -hmm. many of them are, you know, un unintended experts in a, a million different fields yeah. because of the nature, you know, and the directions that their work will take them. But, and they'll ask very good questions. So they're actually... I kind of think almost ideal clients, yeah, because there's because they are so smart. I mean, yeah. there's nothing like a smart client. Mm -hmm. And and I think also what lawyers do respect is that good design does lend legitimacy, mm -hmm. which is everything in law, right? Right. Um, because I mean, there's so many examples in the past decade of companies that have defrauded clients or customers because they just look reputable, mm -hmm. and vice versa. There's plenty of people that are fantastic. yeah exactly <laughs> there are plenty of people that are fantastic at what they do they just present themselves so poorly mm -hmm. and it's like oh if you would just you know fix this slightly you would be able to achieve so much oh a couple of years ago i you know there are a number of litigation boutiques in new york city mm -hmm. and just a few just a few <laughs> and i i i took 
screen grabs of a lot of their homepages and they were almost all identical. And I went into a meeting and I showed, you know, our client at the Mm -hmm. time, I said, you know, you really got to get past this New York City skyline thing yeah, because everybody shows a skyline of New York. And they were, they sat there and they were like, I didn't realize that everyone else did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't believe me here, you know, 40 other screenshots of, of everyone doing that. And, but, and, and sadly, I think that that, that trope is true for a lot of industries. Yeah. Especially in geo, like similar geolocation. Well, you know what people do, especially if they're doing a little DIY, mm-hmm. they're just like, oh, well, we'll just put a skyline up there. Yeah. It's not going to get old. We yeah. don't have to change it. You don't have to change it. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I remember, um, so this this is this is like part of a bigger question that I'll ask after this, but I, I, I once pitched to a small law firm and they were all about forming early stage companies. They were like ones that they were going to do a lot of legal work for not a lot of money, but take a little bit of equity of the company mm. as like to kind of hedge. And they were retired lawyers. They just wanted, they wanted exits is what they wanted. Yeah. But, you know, they were like, so we want a full site build and we want clients to be able to log in and we want this to be, you know, full custom and we want logos and, and letterhead and all this stuff. And they're like, you do that for under five grand. And I just like looked at them and I was like, <laughs> just you laugh. guys are crazy. Like, I was, he's, he's like, well, how much is it, should that cost? I was like, well, if you're going to like a big office or like a pentagram or even even your firm, like it's six to seven figures, right? right? And, exactly. And, and and they're like, no way. And I'm like, yes. Yes way. <laughs> yes way. I mean, if, if you know, people look at you and you're like, okay, how much would it cost you to form like a massive company and do like litigation be a retainer for them? They're like, oh, six to seven figures. I'm like, how is this different? Right. You know, it's it's all part of the same plot. So my question for you, and I've, I pose this question to a lot of people that run their own companies, whether they're design or, or creation or they could be anything, even lawyers. Um, when someone's starting out, especially in a field like design, where what you have done is everything, like your portfolio is your ability to get new work. When you're starting out, it's really hardest to show a few things because it shows that you're either new or that you're inexperienced. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, like what I do with my company, is kind of operate stealth for a few years, build a portfolio, and then launch publicly once they have a full mm-hmm. example of things they're doing. Is, is, the, is there any other way besides those two ways? Like I, I found nothing else. Oh gosh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think especially it's w- with the bummer. way th- <laughs> with the way things are right yeah. now, because people will they're gonna they, they want to check you out, so mm-hmm. they're gonna look at all your social media. Yeah. They're going to look at your obviously the website is everything. probably everything the yeah. most important thing. The the thing that we did as we were trying to build the law firm portfolio mm-hmm. is that we also worked on a lot of thought leadership, mm. a lot of writing. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, I had decided to go into the um, MFA decrit program mm-hmm. over at SVA. Yeah. So I did a full two-year master's degree, which is in writing. Yeah. And so that has helped. You don't need a master's degree to write, but I think no. you can have <laughs> you can have opinions. It helps. It helps. Sure. It helps. It helps to organize your thoughts. Um, but you can certainly have opinions that I think you can supplement some of your your portfolio that way. Uh, I think, you know, also probably um, doing um, podcasts, yeah. doing other types of media sure. where you're commenting on work that exists yeah. in the industry. I think there are some people who have done that. 
um, fairly well. Like, you know, I mean, it's interesting now as you see certain designers as they have matured and they're like, for example, Stefan Sagmeister, mm-hmm. his Instagram feed, he gives critiques. Yeah. So he's really sort of now put himself into more of the teacher's role yeah. with the student. But I think, you know, that, that creating work on your own, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, even if it's not 100% yeah. real, real uh, somebody who used to work for me years ago mm-hmm. regularly enters uh, design competitions with work that is self-generated. Yeah. That's cool. And, and it's beautiful work. Yeah. I mean, there's no question. I mean, he's such a talented designer, mm. but that helps him to get more um, uh, attention. Yeah, for sure. Than he would normally get if he was just yeah. uh, relying on client work. So I think that is something, but I think it just takes time to build the portfolio. It does. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's why so many young designers will start out at a, a well-known firm to gain that notoriety because whatever projects they help, like, I, I think I learned this my first week working at Collins is Brian's like the case study where we list who is involved. Like that's probably one of the most important things because right. all those designers and copywriters and animators and whoever it is get to say like, I worked on this and it enters their portfolio and they can say, I helped with this. Right. You know, and even though like, the big projects, it's everyone is involved with making this big, but they can still say I was a part of that. And that helps build that foundation so they can do their own work. Right. Well, then, you know, and it's also, you know, for many of like the larger firms around the city where if you are, you have proven yourself to be a Mm. great designer to maybe the partner in that firm and you decide you're going to go off on your own, that that partner may refer work over to you, Mm -hmm. that the, that the larger firm doesn't want to take on sure. because the they client can. doesn't have the budget. Yeah. When I first started my firm, I had a couple of designers who were very established that would mm-hmm. send work to me that they said that, you know, it's just too, it was too, too it, it was too small for them. Yeah. And so I happily took that work and Absolutely. it helped to build my yeah. own firm's portfolio. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you, I think you see that over and over again, mm-hmm. especially if the partner or whoever it is really has liked you. Or yeah. you also see that, like, if you worked at an ad agency, the agency will refer work over to yeah. people who are, who have like a, a young startup because mm-hmm. they're just, because they'll say, oh, you know what, this is like having XYZ firm, yeah. but they're 20 years younger, mm-hmm. so you can afford them. Yeah. And they're and they're looking to prove themselves. So they're definitely going to do some good work, right? Right, and they're going to be more flexible in pricing and timeline than than a larger yeah. firm would be. And I think it's also interesting is that uh, I have an agreement like that in place with a firm I won't name. Um, that they because they get a lot of early stage companies that come to them that cannot afford, right? You know their work, but they can afford what we're doing, and you know they want that name. But it's like I we know you're in the same tier of work. We just can't show it yet, right? Right. right. But the nice thing about it, too, is that sometimes people come to me that want that legitimacy, that have those budgets. And I'm like, I'll be honest with you, like, I'm going to have to hire some people and build up a team just to do this one project. Yeah. You know? And, like, sometimes people are game with that. Other times I then send the work back to the people that gave me the small work. And mm-hmm. the nice thing about it is, like, there's always a small per- single-digit percentage commission that goes each way, you know, because mm-hmm. they're going to make some money sending us lo- lower-end work. And they get to keep that relationship. Right. And it, so. and it's good for everybody. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's good karma. Yeah. yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely helped because I definitely given some work to even smaller outfits or individual designers. I'm like, look, this is just you need one logo. Your budget's four thousand dollars, but like, I know a bunch of designers that will do that in a day, and you know, them making four grand for and they'll be super great. happy, super happy. Yeah, they yeah. just covered their rent in Brooklyn for two months. You know, yeah, <laughs> um, which is which is great, and and I think that that is where the market's going is that so many of the best designers now that I can think of, at least in New York, are are mostly independent or freelance. Mm. And there'll be different firms that will fight over them in a bidding war to see who they can get in the office at different points in time. Right. You know, and, and there are people that we worked with at Collins that came in and their day rates were insane, but they could charge that because they could next day go out and walk into any design studio and be like, what are you guys working on? And they'd be like, here's some money. Yeah. You know. Which, I mean, I'd rather be part of something longer term and grow something than be that person that just shows up and punches the card. Well, you know, it, it, the different. industry needs all of all of the different types of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there are you know, definitely people who they really like being the hired gun who mm. comes in, works somewhere yeah. for the a week. Yeah. And then they <laughs> and then they leave. Yeah. And um, and that's what makes them happy. And then there are other people who really want to establish themselves as a firm, mm-hmm. and um, and then other people more like yourself that are looking for something you know a little bit more round. Yeah, I mean, I, I started my own studio only because I I saw a need to for existing for like people that I knew well just needed work to be done. Um, the problem is is keeping that going, and so it's it's really interesting. Like I've put a lot of it on pause the past year because I've been working on other projects like the magazine and growing mm-hmm. this podcast and different things like that. But so every time I ask these questions, it's like not only am I trying to create like a masterclass for someone trying to do this themselves, but also like I'm selfishly asking these questions for myself, <laughs> right? Which which I think ask is away, ask yeah, away. Which, which I think makes it makes it important. But so where do you think the design industry is headed, right? Because I, I feel like we were in this mass, like at least in 2017, 18, I feel like we fluctuate between a lot of in-house design agencies being created and then they'll go back out to external design agencies and this is basically this ocean that flows. Oh yeah. And I think it's, it's, I was just having this conversation yesterday because I was reading about um, Google just let go their entire design. The entire design team. The entire design team. And uh, which is like a thousand people for them. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It's a lot of people. Yeah, because I saw Rob um, GM, GM Pietro's mm-hmm. um, posts on social media. And um, yeah, I just wonder now that we're kind of seeing there's like another wave of layoffs going on. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the industry does this all the time. For sure. They always decide that, you know, oh, we're going to ramp up. We're yeah. going to have our own in-house team and it's going to be great. Yeah. And then they find oh, it's not so easy to build a team. Like you need a star designer to lead it because sure. otherwise talent doesn't want to come on board. Yeah. And then then they have all the salaries. They're paying high salaries mm-hmm. because they have to outbid. Incredibly all the high age, salaries. Oh. All, they have to outbid yeah. all the design firms, the agencies, and all the people who are willing to pay a lot of money. Yeah. And you know, then they have the health insurance, the 401ks, all the- The matching, stock vesting, et cetera. Yeah, all that stuff. And then after yeah. a while they go, we need to cut costs. Yeah. Gee, maybe we could go to an outside agency and get this work done for yeah. a, fraction a fraction of the cost. Yeah. Or I'm sure they looked at their head of design and were like, we're going to we're gonna seed you money to create your own firm, but you're still going to do work for us. Right. You know? I mean, so today is the 23rd of January uh, between Facebook, Alphabet, which owns Google, and um, uh, Microsoft. They've averaged 2,000 layoffs a day since January 1st. Just those three companies. 
yeah you know, dozen people like and, the, and like th- the thing is though is that i i have i know a lot of these people that work there my friends that were you know i'm like so I'm, a, I'm an engineer by trade so there's engineers and programmers and business but i i told a lot of them i said you know how useful are you they're like not really i basically just go to adult daycare and make three hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year and get breakfast paid for and i get stock vested options and i'm like you should probably have a backup option ready because this this, sock some of that money away (laughs) yeah because because i think what happened was it was getting crazy and then COVID hit and it basically just it solidified everything. Some people got laid off. But a lot of companies were like, well, Google's like, well, they're still going to use services. Are we becoming more and more valuable? Facebook, yeah, Amazon, Apple, you know, all these people were like, okay, these are now even more valuable than ever. And they kept growing and growing because there's people that were sitting at home that were willing to work and make good salary and they didn't put them in the offices. But now people are like, okay, we overspent by, you know, $400 million on Right. On and now everybody's looking to cut. Yeah. And so the problem is, is now we have the job market is flooded with people that think they can make $400,000 a year for a skill set that's maybe worth one fifty in a good day. Yeah. I mean, the same thing happened back in, I was looking at, yeah, two, yeah. Th- 1999, 2000. Yeah. And that was, you know, where you know, people were coming out of college making yeah. six figures. For and sure. then- In 2000. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, the, the bottom fell out. I yeah. mean, this space that we're in right now- mm-hmm. um, we got this space in 2001, and I looked at this space in it's a great space. late 2000, and they were asking like $12,000 a month for it. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, we can't afford that. That's yeah. way too much. <laughs> and then by the time that we actually signed a lease and moved in here in July of 2001, it was... Five thousand. They went down to five thousand dollars because they were just looking for. They'd rather have someone to fill it than. Uh, yeah, the building was empty. Yeah, there was a um, a company on the fifth floor that was selling uh, like digital collectibles, mm-hmm. like baseball cards, like yeah. what, what we call NFTs now. Yeah. Um, but back in two thousand, yeah, back in, yeah, back then it was <laughs> it's not a new thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it was, and I ended up hiring because we were in a big expansion phase, and I hired a lot of people who had been laid off from tech companies, yeah. and I hired them maybe at a quarter of the salary that they yeah. had been making. I mean, when you're out of work for long enough, yeah, you'll you, you'll take it. Yeah, yeah, I, I just think it's a fortune because it generated this like false sense of of value in certain markets, and so for me now, because I do a lot of work with programmers. Like it's almost impossible for me to hire freelance programmers anymore because their salaries are insane. Yeah, you know, like I was talking to, I've talked to two two I'll call them kids, but they're not like kids. They're like twenty four, twenty five year olds that were interviewing between like Microsoft and Apple and Facebook and Alphabet and the the comp ranges they were asking. I mean, these are these are two to three years experience out of college from a good school, maybe like a Stanford or a Harvard or, mm-hmm. or the Carnegie Mellon. Um, but their total comp year one is like 380 to 520 which is just absurd like goldman sachs doesn't pay that much to their vps right actually they'll yeah. probably pay their vps more but like you know uh you know you have to, you have to work at goldman sachs for eight years you know a hundred hour weeks to get to that level of pay yeah. you know and these these i mean i'm sure they're fantastic well maybe not talented. i mean they might be you know it's just but it's again it's phases sure, that fair. the industry yeah. goes through and i think it does Yin go and yang. it gets through that giant you know balloon and then all of a sudden everybody is just like oh we need to we need to correct now mm-hmm. and For so sure. that's that's i think what we're going through is there's another correction. correction yeah 
Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to watch different tech companies and brands react as well. So like Tesla last week slashed the prices of their electric vehicles by like 20%. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, mainly because they have a demand problem. They used to have a supply problem like most of their EV manufacturers do. But because it's now 20% cheaper and now their lower end cars sit within the uh, like government rebate right now, they basically dropped 30% price in, mm. in a week. So basically, all of a sudden, people are like, oh, well, I was going to buy car X, but now I can get a Tesla for less than the Chevrolet. And they're like, I'd rather have the Tesla. Right. And the problem is all these competitors have been putting all this money into these cars that are already operating at raises with the margins are now going into massive losses just to compete with Tesla. Mm-hmm. And Tesla's still making money at that price. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see like this game of chess we're entering. And the same thing happened in 2000. Yeah. Right? So many companies and ideas died because they just were caught holding the bag. Yeah. Right. And I think that cutting staff is where you see it happen. That's the beginning of the song. That's like the easy, you know, it's yeah. really, that's the, when people talk cost cutting, that's the yeah. easiest thing to do. For sure. Because yeah. it's a recurring cost, right? And because like, I, I think you and I know this second nature, but most people don't know that like when a company hires you, like they are paying your salary, they're paying taxes on that salary, they're paying all the benefits that you enjoy for. But like, you'd be surprised how much your health insurance is before a company gives you a benefit on it. Oh, yeah. It's absurd. It's absurd. Yeah. I can tell you as a business owner how <laughs> crazy health insurance is. Um, it's it's insanity. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a standard and it's required. Yeah. You know. You have to offer health insurance to people yeah. because you're not going to, uh, you can't get employees otherwise. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, we're going to see the industries just going to go through this correction. I have a feeling we'll probably see more of a a push towards, you know, outside mm-hmm. agencies to yeah. do more work yeah. for a while. And I think also one of the things that's been happening is like, you know, a lot of the financial companies have been following suit with the, you know, looking at the tech companies building up their design yeah, teams. in-house design teams. And yeah. then they're trying to do the same thing. And you you'll st- you start to see job descriptions that you have never seen for a financial services yeah. company before. Like they're looking for a customer experience mm-hmm. designer. They're looking for service designers. Yeah. They're looking for design thinking. Um, and I don't even know if the people hiring even know what that what means. That yeah. And... And, and usually not. <laughs> but usually not. And yeah. then you'll also see those jobs will remain open for yeah. a very long time for sure. because they're not attract. They're not in, yeah. They think they should be able to attract the level of talent yeah. that they desire, but mm-hmm. they can't. Yeah. Sometimes, as I'm sure you might get pings on LinkedIn, I get pings about jobs like that. And I'm like, I don't want to work for fill and financial company X to do design-based thinking all day. Like, what does that even mean? You know, I just want to make some cool things with friends. But like, I think for me, it's like I value the independence. I value being able to say no. Right. I'm especially these financial companies. Like, I think there is a what was the app? It's called Frank. I'm sure you heard about this. JP Morgan Chase spent 284, sorry, 400 million dollars in this app called Frank. Right. And it was this financial services app aimed at people to get them like very, very comfortable with finance. Right. It was meant to be like Frank. It was meant to be like very honest and mm-hmm. transparent and easy to use. And it was started by this young female founder who was, you know, Forbes 30 into 30. And oh, that's the fraud. Yeah. She did defrauded. Yeah. There's 5.48 million fake accounts of 6 million were fake. Yeah. Which is significant. And the thing is, they didn't know until they sent emails to all of them to merge them over. And they had a 78% bounce back rate on the emails. 
which is insane. Like those are fake emails. Well, you know, a lot of these old line companies, they really don't get it. Yeah. They're looking to, they, they're hoping to act like younger companies. Mm. I mean, just look at the whole thing that happened recently with Goldman Sachs and yep. Marcus. Mm -hmm. We were talking here in the, in the office and I, yeah. and I mentioned Marcus and then somebody said, who's Marcus? <laughs> and then I yeah. said, well, it's this, you know, online banking that Goldman mm -hmm. Sachs was, Sachs was developing. They were like, Consumer why did level. they call it yeah. Marcus? Yeah. And then I was like, well, that was supposedly one of the founders first names. And they were like, I don't get it. Yeah, exactly. And then they were like, why didn't they just call it banking by Goldman Sachs? Yeah. And I said, well, I think they were they probably. Call it, they could have called it simple by Goldman Sachs what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, and they were saying, well, you know, maybe is it because like Goldman Sachs wasn't sure about like their image in the market? Mm. Like, would people think that they were bad? And, you know, we were all talking about how people associate Goldman Sachs with wealth. Yeah. And it's like. Why do you think Apple went with them to co-brand their card? Right. You know, so it probably would have worked if they made it more about yeah. Goldman Sachs because sure. people would have associated like I'll get rich if I'm associated with them. For sure. I think it's interesting because a lot of the feedback I saw online, a lot of the design critiques I saw came from the idea of it almost feels like Goldman Sachs wants to for the banking for everyone. They want to separate it from the Goldman Sachs brand so their legacy customers, the really wealthy people, don't feel like they're being infiltrated. And so a lot of people actually didn't want to do it, didn't want to join Marcus because they felt like they're being put in like the poor car. In the, in the, in the cattle car. Right. right. In the coach class in the back of the airplane, you know, and that's what they felt like. And that's, so it was, it's, it's actually a very fascinating case because it was a massive failure when it comes to launching a new service. They lost yeah. a ton of money. It was just, a, and, and you know, and they really, I don't think they really put enough storytelling around it. No. You know, I, I mean, just about any kind of, you know, online financial service, Yeah. it's, they are advertising everywhere. Like if I put mm -hmm. CNN on. <laughs> yeah. Marcus. Or, yeah. Or just, you know, or MSNBC. I refuse to turn on Fox News. Yeah. Um, but Understood. they will. Um, you see so many different commercials about like how this product will enhance your life and mm -hmm. do this and, you know, wax your floors for you or whatever. Yeah. But there's storytelling there. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody. Like I think people got like a few pieces of direct mail from Marcus and yeah. and then forgot about it. Yeah. I, uh, I funnily enough, my grandfathers are both in the military. So I use USAA and they have those like NFL commercials with like Rob Gronkowski and where like people want to join them, but they can't. And so people always USAA ask, is a really good service. Yeah, they are. They're fantastic. And yeah. so, and so I always, people are like, well, why don't you switch to something else? I'm like, because they just help you out. They're good. They, they are get legitimately right. really good. And so people, my, you know, my, I was watching football with my friend the other week, and he was like, why are they advertising to like only a certain percentage of the population that can only access it? It's like they're, because they're not only increasing their brand value by doing that, but they're also getting people that aren't aware that they can actually use the service to use the service. Because it's like a bank like that is better than more people they have using their service. Yeah, well, I think they came up with the whole, all the Zelle technology mm -hmm. that- um, that were like, the first to pioneer it, yeah. Yeah, so they sold that technology then to the other banks yeah. to be able, so that that's how we can use, mm -hmm. like we can Zelle each other And Zelle's money. brilliant. Zelle is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's something that, you know, I think a lot of people want a cryptocurrency to solve that problem, and we we know that crypto might have the answer, but at least not in the foreseeable future, because mm -hmm. crypto has been co-opted by bad actors and people like SBF and turned into something else. You know, yeah, 
and there's a lot of conspiracy theories there and we don't have to get into it but i i just think that the the problem with crypto is it, it also in my mind became a design problem right it's like they the crypto industry as a whole like if i was the ceo of coinbase or any of the large cryptocurrency exchanges they do such a poor job at educating the average consumer about what crypto is nobody understands what it is exactly unless like they spend time to understand it like at first i was like what is this what is a blockchain and then i went through it and i was like actually this makes a lot of sense well the blockchain i think what they're talking about is when that maybe that'll be a place where you'll be able to have information that mm -hmm. has to be absolutely secure yes. like your passport your yeah. you know, like other things like that that'll be the sure. uses for the blockchain yeah but also but also i think i think you know the blockchain in general to me what i get most excited is i think i think one of the, the, the industry that is most um like disruptable by blockchain technologies is not finance it's actually law because mm -hmm. if you have a smart contract right which essentially um for anyone listening that isn't aware is basically like uh, an agreement that is publicly made available where people can basically see that the validity of the agreement has been guaranteed and what i mean by that is if i said um i have an ice cream sandwich and Linda is going to give me $2. And as soon as Linda gives me $2, I will give Linda the ice cream sandwich, right? That's the contract, right? $2 mm -hmm. for ice cream sandwich. But when you scale that and you think about how hard it is to buy a house, you need escrow, you need a realtor, mm -hmm. you need a lawyer, you need paperwork signed. But in the future, someone could say, my house is $800,000. The first person to send me $800,000 gets my house. And it's a very simple process. Did that person get $100,000? Great. The person that sent that now has the legal ownership to that house. And that's simple. And and when, when people say it's on the blockchain, that means that that transaction is on a ledger that is shared by everyone who's also using the service. So there's no way you can fake it, mm -hmm. right? Because if you had, you know, there's what, uh, 20, 30 billion consumer computers on, on online in the world right now, right? If every single one of them had the exact same transaction that was exactly mirrored between all of them, you can't, you can't fake that. You can't hack mm -hmm. into that because you have to change every single one at the same time and they're always updating each other. Right. And if 99 of them say one thing is right and one of them says it's wrong, you know, okay, that one is a problem. So let's fix it. And I think that kind of technology is, is interesting, right? Because mm -hmm. it, it brings to air so much transparency. But also with that, it brings a lot of n not transparency. You know, mm -hmm. there's a reason why like Silk Road existed. Silk Road wouldn't exist if crypto wasn't a thing, mm -hmm. right? The ability for people to say, oh, I'm going to go buy some very sketchy things online with untraceable currency, right? And so the problem is, is I, I believe that on a baseline, almost design, conceptual level, crypto makes a lot of sense. The problem is, is that anything like this, the government's going to want to control. People are going to want to have more, you know, I don't know what the word is. Well, I think everyone's kind of thinking of crypto as kind of really sketchy and it's mm -hmm. really all about like the black market for the most sure. part. Sure. But it's also because, because the people that are regulated early yeah. are like, you know, the douchiest Instagram Crim influencers criminals. and criminals, right? <laughs> and that's unfortunate. But there are also people out there doing really cool work with crypto, you know, which is too bad. But, you know, if you look at big scams like FDIC, right, which is the, I don't know if you know what it stands for, but like basically insure all deposits in the United States, mm -hmm. right? So Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Thank you so much for that. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I knew it was something like that, right? Um, so, so they're responsible for basically insuring all deposits on hand. So I think yesterday I, I was, was this fascinating podcast about this where there's nine trillion deposits like if you add up all everyone's bank accounts and trust accounts in the United States there's nine trillion dollars right the FDIC has about 118 billion dollars of assets on hand and so 
if there was a bank run, there would be a huge, huge problem immediately. That's why they're not going to allow a bank run to exactly. happen. That's yeah. why they bail out like the whole too big to fail yeah. thing. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's it's really messed up. And, this, and the scary thing is like over the summer, no one talked about this, but they, I don't even know how we're talking about this at this point. But like over the summer, they brought down the uh, minimum carry to 0%. So like banks don't actually have to hold any cash or like have any cash locally on hand. They can just, you know, operate on future. How did we get over to this topic? I don't know. I'm sorry. We, we kind of <laughs> went, went through. We were talking about crypto and design. But long story short, bringing this all the way back around, um, we went Marcus. That's why I started to Golden Sachs. Oh, okay. All the way down yeah, that yes. yeah. So, that's how we got down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, no. So pulling ourselves back out of that hole, back into design, it's amazing. Design can make or break everything. Yeah. Right. So when- I think we're seeing also much more of an appreciation for design, I think, yes. because um, as- Boomers are getting are retiring out. I see this yeah. with the lawyers, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, as their older partners who their idea of business development was going out to lunch every day. Yeah. That everyone else is like, we need a digital presence. Mm -hmm. So when you start to see like the partners who are coming up who are just like, okay, you know, we need, you know, our generation is taking over the firm. Yeah. We need to have, we need more modern tools. Yeah. This is not adequate for us. And that's where you're seeing the big transition and where you see people who really want like something that is visually rich, something that functions well. Like I can't tell you how many times someone will say to me, oh, you know what? It doesn't work on the phone, you know? And, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> it never bothered the partners, yeah. you know, but it bothers us. Yeah. yeah. So- yeah, especially with the pandemic mm -hmm. that accelerated, I think people realizing that they need more, you know, they need more robust digital tools yeah. for everything, whether it's, yeah. you know, learning how to present better over Zoom mm -hmm. or whether, you know, they have That's a, huge. a better, yeah. more useful website that yeah. actually can help with their marketing efforts. Agreed. Um, so what are your biggest pain points now when talking to new clients? Like what are, what are the things you find yourself repeating as in like, you, you need to stop doing this? You know, what is that? It's different for everybody. You know, it's, I think the biggest pain point is just finding out what their pain point is yeah. and what their objectives are. Cause sometimes there's like this hidden thing mm -hmm. that's like, you don't know about, like mm -hmm. we didn't get a project once because somebody said, well, you know, this firm that had more nonprofit experience. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, and it was just like the rationale behind it didn't quite make sense. And I was like, humans are irrational. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and I was just like, I wish you had told me that. Like we, you know, I, yeah. like I said, I've worked, I, on I've worked with, on everything. Yeah. And so it's just really trying to find out like, what are, what are people's triggers and what mm. are, what are they really looking for? Yeah. Because, I need to know that so that I can understand whether, you know, are we a good prepared. fit? Yeah. You know, can we help them? Being a good fit is important because some people it's will just, really important. some people will just try to get the work regardless of what the work is. Yeah. Right. But as you know, if you take on a product that you shouldn't take on, it's way worse than just- It's terrible. It's terrible. Or a client <laughs> that you have a bad feeling about. Yeah. Like if you- It's not worth the money ever. If you talk to a client and you're just like, I think they might be kind of, you know, hard to deal with. They're- they're way worse. Yeah. They're way worse, worse when you work person. with them. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't matter how much they're paying you. No. It's never worth they it. They will torture you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, th- I think the things going off of like not specific pain points, but the things I say the most, especially to my clients that are run by, I'd say people 50 plus, I don't want to lump it. Not everyone's in the same category, right? But but like the the mobile site thing you mentioned is is, is such a big thing that it's I find. Thing. Yeah. But everyone's looking at things in their phones. You know, someone asks you like, well, do we need a mobile site? I'm like, you'll probably have 90% of your visits from mobile phones. It depends on the industry. For sure. Um, For you consumer know, and, products in this day and age. Yeah, yeah. consumer products, absolutely. Yeah. Because people, if they're bored, they'll start shopping. Mm-hmm. Correct. And, um, <laughs> you know, standing online. Fill that hole. Anywhere. Yeah. And so definitely, uh, you know, in in terms of like, you know, our clients, what I, I always say, the phone is really all about the, the right to brag. Mm-hmm. So it's much more. Mm, I like if, that. If they are out with somebody and they go, here, look at our site. Yeah. And like, it looks great, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's on the phone and it looks really good. That's yeah. what it, I But it's find on it, the phone. Yeah, because yeah. it's, um, you know, with people are really looking, you know, researching their law firm on a phone. Not Probably that not many. many. Unless they're in really bad trouble and you need a lawyer right then and there. Well, that's different. <laughs> yeah. Because actually we did do work for someone who um, represented whistleblowers. And uh, that was where the mobile is really experience was really important because people have their personal phone really and they search. go out at lunchtime yeah. and they are like looking for someone yeah. to represent them. Yeah, and whistleblower. They're, <laughs> and, they're, yeah. and they're freaked out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, you know, the average, you know, corporate, law firm people are at their desks and they're yeah. they may be looking for a specialist in a certain or area yeah yeah and they're so they're on a desktop yeah but um but it's really it's important because people are more and more you know back when i had started my firm mm-hmm. i used to we used to have actual telephones in the office yeah and I used to actually pick up the phone and mm-hmm. cold call people because people sat at their desks yeah and they answered their you knew phones. where they were gonna be yeah yeah and so you'd call them and you could be like, hi, I'm, you know, I'm a nice person. Yeah. And, you know, and you talk and you. Sounds just, great. It sounds great. Come yeah. on in and see me. And, but now it's like, people are, uh, people are not pinned yeah. down to any one location, just no. as you were saying yeah. for yourself. And how, what is it? 160 hours of travel of uh, air, last uh, year on I airplanes. 174,000 miles. Yeah. yeah. So. Stupid. <laughs> well. <laughs> People are incredibly awesome. yeah. mobile. Yeah. And so you're not getting them in any one place. So sure. that's where, di- you know, the mediation mm-hmm. of the digital world is more and more critical because yeah. it's not mm-hmm. 20 years ago when, you yeah. know, you could just call someone and they'd be sitting at their desk. They're and dating is the same thing. Yeah. Right. It's like you can't just call people anymore and ask them out. That's well, I don't know that. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> fair. Dating apps are It's been a long Yeah. Yeah. They answer a whole new world. But I think it's interesting you you mentioned that point about cold calling because for a while I did that, but in the millennial way, which is you DM people on Instagram. And I actually got a lot of work from just like reaching out to brands that way. You know, because a lot of brands, especially smaller brands starting out, they are social first. Right. You know, because if they have an Instagram page that's kick ass and they can do shopping on there, especially like if you can buy your product on Instagram and tag it, you have completed that circle. Right. Yeah, right. you're not so dependent upon a website. You can you're not. Instagram will really yeah. But the but the website should also be there, so when people want to go and check it out and get the full experience and see all the photos. It's there, right? Right. And so when with like the magazine was starting that, like it was getting it on Instagram and getting it a shop on Instagram that was linked to the website shop was so important. Yeah. Because if someone can 
because I, I think I've learned it's like, I took the page from Amazon's book. So if, if you ever go on amazon.com, as someone who likes the design of things, it is not the most beautiful thing to look at. No, it is not. Right? It's more like a flea, like eBay has a better design now than Amazon. That says things. eBay is meant to be like the flea market of the web, right? But Amazon is built for low latency because they've basically learned that for every tenth of a second that a user waits for something to go to their cart to go to checkout, their eagerness to buy something drops by like 3%. Yeah. Right? And so in one second, they drop 30, 30, 30%. And by about four seconds of waiting for something to add to cart or a new product page to load or something to add to cart, people just drop it completely. You know what frustrates me more about Amazon? I think you used to be able to do like the instant buy thing mm-hmm. or something. One and, click. And, and I can't do that now. It's only on the app. Yeah, there you go. It, it frustrates me to no end because <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you how many times I think I've completed the the transaction, transaction and then I go back there. I'm like, yeah. two items in my cart. What yeah. is this? Shouldn't Prime have delivered this by now? I know. Yeah. And like they shouldn't they do? Yeah, they should so, fix that. Yeah, I I, th- I think Apple Pay when it, when Apple announced Apple Pay, it was such a big deal to people that like most people are like oh cool, but immediately I, I think I my boss at the time realized they're like this is going to make it so that if someone sees something they want, they can buy it in literally two clicks of a button. Right. Removes all friction. Removes all friction. And yeah. this one click checkout is like the, all the most recent like unicorns in the startup world that have like had fiery, flamey deaths or like very sketchy founders. It's been one click checkouts. Yeah. But it's one of those things where it's like, you're not going to be able to beat Apple or Google. Cause like if you have an iPhone, you're using Apple pay. You have Android using Google Pay or Android Pay or whatever it is. And then there's also like Affirm and Afterpay and other different outlets. Oh, that yeah. Those now. are the other things where, where it's like paying installments. But the, the, but the beautiful thing about that is that you can now actually use Afterpay and Klarna and Affirm to just buy regularly. But they offer the one click, the seamless check. Well, I like Shopify I do for too. that reason. Yeah, yeah. Because, and they're, actually the good thing about Shopify is because I'm, I'm in different locations, mm-hmm. I have to always make a decision on where do I want something mm-hmm. delivered. Yeah. And then and I can just select the address and then Shopify takes care of everything. Yeah. Which is really great. Which is great. Yeah. But sh- Amazon needs to correct that because there's too many clicks. I think yeah. it's like five or six clicks mm-hmm. on the um, desktop website. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I definitely have purchased more things with Amazon, but it's also like... Sometimes I'll catch myself being like, I'm out of batteries. I'm just going to order more batteries on Amazon. And I'm just like, what am I doing? I can walk to CVS, which is a block away from my apartment, and just get more batteries. But the I thing just is, order everything on Amazon. For sure, because it's, it's almost always cheaper, and I don't think about it. Like, right. once it's done, it's done. It's almost always cheaper. Yeah. And it's just so much easier. And I, I had to buy batteries the other day. Yes. So I did it. Yeah, no, exactly. This, this little recording. Well, you know, it's office. also, you know, it's the kind of thing, like batteries. I mm-hmm. had to change the batteries in my smoke detector, mm-hmm. right? Which is a very annoying Specific thing. Specific battery, to right? Yes. And it was these funny little, yeah, the like, little nub, short, nubby nub. cylinders. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I don't even know what they're called. And yeah. like, but in Amazon, it does have good search. So you yeah. can type oh, things in. It's the search that, that makes it. And up, then right. you get it. And then I'm just like, okay, give me a pack of those. Yeah, then you're good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I've I've learned. So here's here's a good example of how you use Amazon as like a head, right? So with the new magazine, um, I was looking at just simple cardboard mailers to ship the magazine. And I realized that it was worth spending more money on a nicer cardboard mailer because if it shows up damaged, you're going to lose two issues for one. And right. then pay for shipping twice. Right. So like get, making sure it gets there on damage is everything. So going for a slightly nicer uh, cardboard packaging is great. So obviously, like, where do you look for cardboard packaging? Uline. Like, I remember getting the, the magazines right. as yeah. a kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's this huge. Thick. This thick. This massive, like, phone book-sized magazine. 
But the thing is, is, I was looking on them and I was like, that's interesting. And then I realized that I had they did a freight ship it to me. And I was like, oh, shit, I need stuff tomorrow because I need to get some stuff out to like first pre-orders. So I was on Amazon and I was looking around and I found the exact same stuff that Uline sells. Not with the Uline branding on it, though. For cheaper that has free delivery on Amazon. And the best thing about it is with Amazon subscribe and save where you like sign up for like every month or every two weeks and show up, they take 15% off. So it's yeah. like literally 20% cheaper than Uline for the exact same thing that arrives next day, you know, to pay someone to free ship it to your door. Right. And that's where like you, these companies, like Uline's not going to be around in five years. No. No. I mean, it's like there's like Amazon is just taking, has taken over and is totally <laughs> dominating, dominated and changed yeah. our attitude towards shipping. Because I mean, how many times do you go on some retailer's website and they're charging you for shipping? You're like, what? Yeah. I want to pay $4.99 for shipping. Yeah. Yeah, it was actually a big pain point for the magazine. I keep reading the magazine, but like it's been it's been like the number one thing in my head recently. And so charging for shipping, at least in the beginning, is we have to. Right. Because we don't have the margins when you're a small company. To, and, and people get that. And I think a lot of people understand it and are happy to pay for it. But I'm sure I look at the, the, the cart abandonment rate. I guarantee you half of those are because of charging for shipping. Right. And that's fine. And eventually I'd love to be able to charge. Eventually you'll build little, it into the price. For sure. And because, but the, right now, as you know, when you make a limited number of products compared to a lot of products, that difference in margin is everything. That's it's your shipping. Everything. That's your yeah. that's your cost. That's your profit. So especially when magazine stores in New York City, you want fifty percent. Uh, oh really? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is fair because like, look, that's that's retail. That's retail, and I'm and I'm okay with that because I'm talking small, legendary magazine stores in like the corners of L.A. and New York and Copenhagen and Paris, right? Mm-hmm. The thing is, is if I break even going there, I'm happy because the amount of eyes that get on the piece when they're there, and a lot of people go there and then they'll go online and buy it. A lot of them aren't buying them from those stores. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of niche magazines, did you ever see Wax? Wax. That was a surf magazine, wasn't it? It was a surf magazine. And when did, um, and I want to say, let's see, 2014, maybe? Mm. It was a couple of guys who worked at 2x4. Mm. Um. And it's not, um, I don't think it's notes. being published anymore. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I think I, I I may have, I'm not sure if I have all the copies of it. Wax magazine. Yeah. yeah. I'll link it below. Yeah, no, so this is how they make it. Biannual pre-application exploring the intersection of art, culture, and surfing. That's cool. Um, but. Oh, it was beautifully designed. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it now. I mean, the, the cool thing about, um, so I've ne- I'd never printed anything before. Right. Like I printed work and school projects. And I remember, you know, when I grew up, like it was very common, like you you type out your report, you print it out, you hand it to the teacher and they're writing with the red pen. Right. But printing at scale for like a large publication is such a fascinating process. I learned so much. It was such a painful, fascinating process. Um, But I think design, going back to kind of the whole conversation, a lot of the work that we're doing now, and I'm sure you're doing as well. The, the way you do it has changed, but the end deliverable is still the same. Not so much. You know what? I mean, I was looking at some stuff on our bookshelf from, this was probably from the 90s. And, you know, that was at a time when, oh gosh, things like annual reports mm. were still being done and they were lavish. They would have like... We have one that has like a tip on, it's like a lenticular image that's on the cover of mm. an annual report. Yeah. And I'm sure that was super expensive. 
And then, um, I mean, just all the different papers that were available at mm-hmm. that time, and that, and and special effects were encouraged. Like yeah. people did crazy, beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And now it's like any kind of anything. There's hardly any annual reports even being produced in mm-hmm. the entire world at all anymore. Yeah. Um, and then any type of corporate publication, it's almost always going to be a short run digital mm-hmm. print run. So yeah. we used to print like 40,000 annual reports and with like every kind of ink and special effect that yeah. you could think of that we're no longer thinking that way. For sure. And everything is just more like, how can it be, how can you print it off of, a you know, some type of digital printing press, which I yeah. mean, the, the quality is pretty good. I mean, yeah. they, they look nice and everything, but you're not getting any of those special foils and no. all the all the special effects, the special papers. I mean, it was a much more, as far as a, an industry, it was much more tactile. Yeah. It was, um, and there was a there was a sort of luscious beauty to all of it. Yeah. That no longer, it, it's just not there. You know, we're yeah. Everything is so digital, yeah. and everything is so brand driven mm-hmm. now, much more so than maybe. 20 years ago. I'm not saying that it's better or worse mm-hmm. or whatever, but if you look at the design industry, it was so, you know, in the 90s, it was so publication driven in the early aughts, maybe a little bit, but things started shifting and then mm-hmm. things went really digital. And then at first websites were like these really cool looking things and they used, <laughs> yeah. fla- do you remember Flash? Of course. And then uh, they had all these like crazy Your effects. Your Flash is out of date. Yeah. And then everyone... <laughs> And then all of a sudden, everyone was like, well, no, we can't use Flash anymore. Now we have to be, you know, more, um, we have to be more like straightforward. And then like web design really went into sort of like this fallow period where it was kind of awful and it just looked like a closet where everybody shoved all the stuff (laughs) stuff. into. And then- You'd have menu bars with 30 options up top. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and then it's, you know, now I think, you know, web design has improved dramatically Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it's much more- uh, inviting, much mm-hmm. more delightful in many ways. But I do sort of, I feel bad with, you know, that we've lost that aspect of the design world where it's not tactile. The f- tactile. We don't have yeah. those wonderful folded things mm-hmm. that were, there's just like, no one has any use for it. Yeah. People send digital party invitations, digital yeah. Christmas cards. cards. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're not, you know, it's sort of, yeah. Um, I remember way, way back in, oh, oh gosh, a long time ago, the design annuals, people would go crazy for like a baby announcement. Yes. And it would be like these designers would be designing these really clever. High end. High end. Yeah. Baby announcements. Now it's like you get like a paperless post. Mm-hmm. You see it on Facebook. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you see an Instagram post. Instagram. Oh, well, I guess I had a baby. Great. Yeah. You know. Because I mean, it used to be like, and here's it, the yeah. link to our Amazon like, wish list. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's, you it's all about the money. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all about uh, it's all about the driving those sales. No, you make a good point. I, th- I think what I was saying in terms of it's been the same. It's just like people with annual reports. The what they were trying to portray, right? The, the information they're trying to portray is now portrayed in a different way, right? No, some of it's just not being portrayed at all. At all. Yeah. I mean, because. There used to be this idea of showing, however, what mm-hmm. it was like the the glorification of the corporation. Understood. Right. So it would could be if it was a manufacturing company. Sometimes they would have like these inc- 
incredible pictures of um, of their manufacturing facility. Mm -hmm. And they would spend tens of thousands of dollars with some photographer who would spend a day lighting yeah. this giant piece of equipment. And it would be just this gorgeous, beautiful photograph. Photo. Yeah. Um, they would send photographers around the world to photograph like employees in every country. Yeah. And then they would spend tens of thousands of dollars on retouching and, and yeah. photo reproduction. And then, and then, you know, could you find the most expensive paper, whether it was like a matte paper, a glossy paper, what, whatever it might be. Yeah. People just showing off. Yeah. It was yeah. just, it would, but it was all about like the glory mm. of the company. Yeah. You know what else reminds me of is uh, an American psycho, the business card scene. Oh. When they're like, this, that is, uh, <laughs> he's like, um, that is uh, Times Roman on eggplant or like eggshell. And they're all like talking about the, the type of the paper and the color of the white and the serif lettering. And there's, there's a beauty. When was the last time you handed someone a business card? Today at 2 p.m. You did? Okay. Yeah. Only because like with the magazine, like that world is still driven by paper. paper. Yeah. And so like, especially these small tiny consignment based magazine stores in New York city that run the magazine world. Like these guys are awesome. Like I got one of their business cards and it just said like they have an at hotmail address and it has asked for hotmail. one of these, these three guys. Yeah. It's like, it's Casa magazines in, in the West village is like one of the, Oh yeah. That's yeah, one of the best. One yeah. of the best. Yeah. And so it's run by these, this family It's like the dad, the grandfather, the dad and the younger. And, um, the older guy was there and I handed it to him and he's like, okay. He's like, like 20 copies on consignment 50 50 um if you want to put some in the window and you know the 30 it's an extra 700 bucks for that here's my business card it's casa magazines at hotmail.com like it's just it's just easy you know but they there's no computer in there like, yeah. i gotta see a computer in there there's just it's just not there's a calculator there's some tobacco on the wall and there's just stacks of some of the rarest magazines that you could find yeah you know? you know i mean and i i don't mean to be sounding like you know that i'm lamenting change in any way sure but, <laughs> um but you know there is I mean, I, I think that, you know, in terms of digital design, we have, you know, progressed so much and it's mm -hmm. just so much like, you know, the New York Times, the, the digital publication is fantastic. It they is. do a great job. Yeah. There's so many ways that it's like wonderful, all the information that we can access. And interactive. And, and, and yeah. yeah. But more then, than a PDF, right? <laughs> more than a PDF. Yeah. I mean, I, oh God, PDFs. I just wish that we had some of that tactile stuff instead of the PDFs. Mm -hmm. I, like, I just sort of feel like, oh, God, i got to put together a PDF or somebody. So do you, th with, with this incoming kind of VR, AR, especially because Apple's jumping into it, and I feel like once Apple does, people think, oh, this is mainstream now. Do you think that we can achieve some of that tactile back through creating experiences in that? Because I'm still not sure know. myself. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't sure, think but... people want to stick stuff on their faces. No. I think unless it's video games or porn, the only two really categories that people really want to wear VR. You want to be goggles. like in an immersive yeah, world. For but sure. I just don't, I think it's so, it's going to be so specialized. And I'm sure Apple's going to do it better than anybody else. Yeah. And they will design a device a that is better device. than yeah. anybody else. Yeah. I mean, like we all walk around with the AirPods and mm -hmm. it's like a piece of jewelry. For sure. So, yeah. um, watches as you and I are both wearing. Right. And, you know, all of the, the wearables that, yeah. you know, we're all tracking our sleep and everything else. Tracking and, everything. And, yeah. you know, we're trying. But I don't know. Like, I, you know, I think I do think that for all of um, uh, Cal New Newport had an mm -hmm. article in today's Times. Yeah. 
And it's more about like how, you know, and he, he's writing a lot about how our, um, our attention is so fragmented. He's a great and, writer. And that we are not, um, we can't multitask. No. And I think people are get, getting, are, yeah. are starting to really come to that conclusion because every, who do you know that's not totally stressed out? Everybody's stressed out. They've got too much to do. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, too many things vying for their attention. And, you know, at a certain point, I think that we, you know, I think we are all appreciating non-digital life in many ways. Yeah. I think that's where we see people, you know, going, you know, embracing more like wellness, like mm -hmm. yoga and med yeah. meditation is really big. Yeah. And, where people are searching for something to, it's a renaissance almost. to calm down yeah. with because our brains are so overstimulated mm -hmm. by all of the, um, the, the the phones and the computer and the Apple TV and everything else yeah. that we're all looking at. All the there's time. a huge market right now for people to create products that take people away from technology. Yeah, right. It's a huge booming market, right. And there are also products that are trying to bring technology into the things that are meant to take us away from technology. Like the yeah. headbands that you're supposed to wear while meditating that tell you how good you're meditating. It's like that defeats the purpose. As someone that actually meditates a lot, like that to me is, is the antithesis of the point of meditation. Yeah. Right. It's not an achievement thing. It's like I read books on my iPad often, not all the time, um, especially if it's just text-based. If it's visual, I want the paper version. But right. like when I'm trying to, like especially when I'm traveling so often, Having access to all them, being able to highlight. It's great to be able to it's have great. It on an iPad. I forget. My problem is I buy books <laughs> and I put them on my iPad yeah. and I have them on. I have Apple books and mm -hmm. I have Kindle, Kindle books. Yeah. And then I forget that I own them. Yeah. Because I don't see them. I had to put it in my, it's my home screen, like bottom shelf for that reason. So I remember it's like, hey, I still forget it's there most times. Yeah. But the the sad thing is like, I sometimes want to read, but I don't want to hold my phone anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm like. I just want a paper book. And that's why I still have like a bookshelf of books. Well, I'm trying to read at like at night, mm -hmm. um, only paper books. Yes, same here. Because I don't want, I, I want to just get rid of the screen. Yeah. During the day on the subway, walking around. Like if you're on the, on the subway, plane, it, you know what? It's super cares? convenient to yeah. have something on Hold your phone. It. Yeah. Because you can just pull it out of your pocket, put it away whenever mm -hmm. you want to. You reach your stop and it's yeah. no big deal and you're not carrying more stuff with you. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just, it's just not as, the paper is not as portable. No. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm trying to get more back into um, drawing and, and just kind of doing crafty things. Yeah. You know, like knitting and mm. stuff that I haven't done since I was like a, a little kid. I haven't done knitting since I was a little kid. Well, the, the like the best selling arts and crafts products on like the entire arts and crafts category on Amazon are like adult coloring books. Like knitting oh, that kits. Cr that's crazy. Adult yeah. coloring books. It cracks me up so it's much. It's awesome. But they're just, yeah. they're literally just designed to be this highly intricate things that, that just get that movement going. Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend loves them. So I like, and that, there's nothing wrong like with that. It's awesome. It's a great way to de-stress. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I think drawing is fun. I miss crayons. Crayons are so much so cool. Oh, yeah. There's, it's like, you're just displacing wax from a tube shaped in a cylinder uh, onto a paper or on their object. Yeah. It's kind of great. Yeah. You know, that's, that's with all that. I don't even know why I got on this topic again. Um, <laughs> We've gone down a number but, of but different rabbit holes, rabbit holes. Rabbit holes are great. Um, so to kind of begin to wrap up this conversation, unless yeah. there's any other major topic no, that I think, unless you want to hit another rabbit hole. <laughs> no, we'll save that for part two in another day. Um, 
I'm going to get you out of here in a few rapid fire questions. Okay. Uh, and these questions you can answer with uh, as few or as many words as you'd like. Okay. Um, and I'll start off with uh, the easiest, probably the most cliche question. But um, if you had a billion dollars to spend uh, to solve a singular problem, but you couldn't spend that money on yourself or your family, uh, what problem would you try and solve? Healthcare in America. Where would you start? It, well, I think what is terrible is that um, I, I feel like when I talk to people, people feel that no matter what kind of health insurance they have, mm. that their health needs are not being met. correctly met. Agreed. Um, I think there's also a tremendous problem in terms of uh, accessibility for people who are um, live, you know, in poverty. Yeah. I mean, that's the extreme. I mean, mm -hmm. many of them do have Medicaid, but there's still like there's, you know, the lack of services is is terrible. I think there's a real problem in terms of how we're dealing with mental health. Yes. There are far too many people who are on the street, like here in New York, who desperately need help. Yeah. Um, Just want a hug. <laughs> and I don't know if you want to hug them, but no, no, you know, they need, they, I, I don't have, but they, they want to hug. Yeah. They, <laughs> they need, they need help. Yeah. Um, and I, and I also think, and I think there's a lot of neglect, um, when it comes to the elderly, I think if you get old and mm. you are not extremely wealthy, I don't think that you, um, you're going to have a tough time of it. Yeah. And, uh, they're herded like farm animals in these, in these like retirement homes. Yeah, I mean, and it's really, it's heartbreaking. And it's just, you know, most people are really better off living at home and we haven't figured out how to make sure that they can have care um, at home um, yeah. where they, you know, they're, where they're happier, where they're going to be safer, probably. They just need somebody with them. Yeah. And we no longer have like the extended family living in the same place. Yeah. So I think healthcare in America is like one of the biggest problems. That's what I would choose and we have a an aging population that is going to need more and more care yeah and we have an obesity problem that is just growing going to lead to more day. yeah it's more more problems that are caused by that yeah and there's also certain healthcare problems that exist in all levels whether you're affluent and have as much access as you can or if you have no access and no money there's still like for example i had a stomach infection two weeks ago the medication to fix that stomach infection that's like very specific with insurance was six hundred and fifty dollars, and and I and I think like I am just glad that I a have insurance that wasn't three thousand dollars, and right. then b I have the I have the money to be able to afford that right because I can fix my problem because it's a, it was a very painful thing to deal with before right. that, you know. And yeah. there are people that would be like, well, that's that's my groceries, that's my rent, that's my car payment, that's my kids whatever for right. a month, and they can't afford that, so they right. end up dealing with something that's super painful. It causes problems down the line that costs way more money to fix right yeah you know? we are not doing enough in terms of preventative care yes and, uh yeah but also people some people just don't want to take care of themselves that's a whole other problem to get well into. yeah that's another issue yeah but i think health care that's what if i had if i had a lot if i had that much money that's yeah. what i would go to fix that yeah. would be my cause and it's sad though that the billion dollars probably wouldn't wouldn't do, wouldn't cover it wouldn't come close. you probably need a hundred billion probably need not. i think we need more than that but the idea that i was like uh it's it's insane how expensive things get at scale especially when people have an ability to profit off them i think that's the scary thing right um is there a particular sound that you associate with happiness the ocean just in general mm -hmm. is there a specific ocean no 
Just the sound of, you know, that roar. You ever notice that uh, sometimes like a certain beach has a certain sound? You know, I am not that much of an auditory person mm. where I could make that distinction. Mm. I'm, I'm much more visually driven. Sure. But I, I'm I'm not good with music. Like I just like yeah. things, but I couldn't Understood. tell you why. Yeah. Okay. I, I always ask people because sometimes, like for me, like growing up on a certain beach, like it always had a certain sound because of the types of rocks and types of sand, the type mm -hmm. of like it was like a, such a percussive noise. And for me, it's like I can always like hear it. I'm like I know what that is. You know. Yeah. Um, Got a lot more auditory. But there's also things I'll see and that some like you might notice, and I'm like I, just, I don't I don't see the difference. You know. But it's that's the fascinating thing about human beings, right? We each have our own thing that we kind of yeah, in our own neuroses, right? Um, is there a story that your parents or family like to tell about you? I don't think so. Not even growing up, like when Linda was sick, she did this funny thing that they always joke about. I feel like maybe they just probably said I cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> why, why did you cry a lot? I don't know. I think no one was listening. <laughs> oh, that happens. Um, is there something you believe in that most don't? I don't know. I think I, I really do believe that people are inherently good mm. and I'm not sure how many people in this day and age would go along with that. Not many. <laughs> so. Especially with the people that you see on TV and Twitter yeah. and Instagram and what happens in the world. Um, if you could, yeah. This, so Linda's dog is just set up after her nap. Yeah, she's decided, decided yeah. Decided that she <laughs> wants to be a part of the conversation now and is absolutely adorable. She starts coming over to say hi to me. Um, yes, I know we're wrapping this up soon, I promise. Um, if you could send a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area, uh, where would it be and what would it say? Oh, maybe it would be something sort of stupid. Maybe it would be just like here in New York and like in the morning and it would be like, it's going to be a great day. I love that though. Just some positive affirmation. <laughs> just some like, just put it out there in the universe. I think you, you know what? You just really, you, you, you have to believe. You have to be positive. Like even when things are terrible and you just feel like it's just going to, everything's going to be awful. You, you just have to not think that way. You just have yeah. to believe it'll be positive. I like that. Um, last one for you is, is there anything particular that you're looking forward to right now? Like maybe a trip or some kind of event or some future milestone. Okay. So this is something again, corny. Yes. I am really looking forward to the next few weeks when the sun starts to rise earlier I love that. and yeah. the days are longer. And it's just that sort of sense of like, Oh, it's starting to shift into spring and then it will be summer. Yes. And I I love that. Is summer your thing? Summer is my thing. Yeah. And so I love to sort of get the sense of the days are getting longer. And like, it's like the, I love the anticipation of summer. Yeah. That is, that, that is a good feeling. Do you, do you also enjoy, there's this beautiful kind of romantic period of fall, right? The end of summer where it's just like this, like, it's almost like the, the beautiful celebration of what happened. You know what? I find that sort of sad. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> because I know 
you what's, know it's coming. I know what's coming. Yeah. And I feel so regretful that the wonderful warmth is like complete. Rescinding. And yeah, and it's just um Make a good point. Actually, it does excite me too. Like this, like it's it's fun because on my Apple Watch, what the sunset time sunrise time is like sunset sunrise time is always on my watch. And it's fun to watch it jump, especially in a place like Seattle, where it's like right now it's still like eight AM the sun rises and the sun sets at like oh. four. Okay. You know, it's because we're so far up there. Yeah, like, you're so far north. Yeah. Latitude, I guess, latitude wise. But then in the summertime, sun rises at like 4.45 and it sets at like 10 p.m. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've actually, I don't know if you've ever been far enough north where the sun doesn't set at certain points. Yeah. It's it's yeah, fun. Yeah. It's trippy. I would like that. It's trippy. So last story and then we'll get it out of here. But I, I, uh, I went on this hiking trip when I was in high school in the Yukon Territory, like northern Yukon Territory. And... It was the time of year when it was like transitioning where because of the light, like the first night I was there was a month long. There, The sun did not set, right? And by the end of it, we had five hours of nighttime. So like literally like every single day, it was changing by like 15, 20 minutes, which is like, see, it was a palpable wow. difference every single day. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was cool because you get to so watch this transition. In York, it's like three minutes a day, something like that. Yeah. What is it in Seattle? How much is? More than that. I think it averages out to be like, probably four or five or six but during it depends on the time of the year because like think about it, it's like an ellipsoid right so there's th- that that period where it's like right before right in the middle between summer and spring and summer and winter i guess it's fall and winter near the equinox yeah near the equinox it, it just speeds up and slows down mm. right and then right this time of year it's slow it's like you're rounding that corner it's like going up yeah. over the top of the roller coaster you're rounding over the corner and it's gonna start dropping Oh, I know. It's this this time of year. I'm I'm really impatient. I want yeah. it to. I want to start mm-hmm. to see it speed up more. But that's what I'm really looking forward to. I like that. And then and then to anyone to people that haven't lived in New York, there's that time of year. It's like mid April to mid May, where it's okay. The dog's licking my water bottle. Where uh, where like it's the sun is up at like five and everyone's up and out and oh, working out. It's and crazy. Live. You know? I know. And yeah. By eight a.m., everyone's like, "We've worked out. We've had breakfast. We've had fun. We've done four projects. We've like tackled the world. And we're ready to go." And then everyone's out all night partying. It's like the greatest. It's it's so great. The beauty of New York. So, anything you want to share with the audience? Thank you so much again for doing this. Oh no, I mean, I think we've I think we've shared a lot. Okay, but like, uh, where someone wants to get in contact with you or or find you online? Oh sure. Type in your name. Are you yeah. are you big in the socials at all? Like use well, Instagram. I'm, I'm or... in Instagram, Linda yep. Decker Design. Cool. And we also have Decker Design as the firms. Yeah. Uh, you can see Layla all over my Instagram. Yes. Layla is very cute. And... I'll, I'll include a picture of Layla below so everyone can see a picture <laughs> of Layla. She's the size of my foot. Yeah. Very she's cute. So, oh. And um I don't know. Yeah. You can find me. Yeah. Appreciate it so much. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation between myself and Linda Decker. You can find Linda and Decker Design online at Decker Design. And as always, you can find me online at Rob Auchincloss or robauchincloss.com. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day. Goodbye.